That's a rather long reading, isn't it? But it has, it has some great principles in it. Now, what I want to introduce to you this morning is the fact that that's, that is a um, judgment scene. But it's a judgment scene that had a dual application. For one thing, it was a judgment scene that started out when Jesus was on this earth and when he came and, and then he died on the cross because it says, Come ye, blessed of my Father, to those that were feeding him and visiting him and so forth, and inherit the kingdom. And the others will go into eternal fire. Well, that tells me that there was something going on at that time and it will also, that principle will also apply in the final judgment. But let's just think of it in terms right now of the fact that Jesus said, come inherit the kingdom. Now, sometimes we, we look at that term inherit, and we think it means it will be something that we passed on from uh, parents to child. You'll inherit whatever they have, their house or their goods or whatever. That's not what the term actually means in, in the original language. The original language means possess. Come possess the kingdom. Now, in Luke chapter 12, verse 32 through 34, Jesus said, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's going to give them the kingdom. And this text in Matthew chapter 25 says, Come inherit the kingdom or possess the kingdom. So those people who are of a generous nature, hospitable people in other words, are those who can inherit the kingdom or can possess the kingdom. And here he's saying, come, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He said, sell what you have and give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that fails not where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupts for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, the major philosophers of this world, ancient and modern, Unite with Jesus in this particular aspect, and that is that they will tell you that the possessions we have on this earth, earthly possessions, that are not endurable, are not the most valuable possessions that we can have. And that takes us a long time to reach that point, but that's a vital point. Our physical possessions do not compose the most important aspects of our lives. Whatever we accumulate in this world, in this earth, are temporary. They have a shelf life. Have you heard that term? We go to the grocery store and they'll say, look at the label on the, on the goods. The shelf life is, it expired last month. Well, you don't want to buy that. So the goods we have on this earth, whatever we possess on this earth, have a limited shelf life. Jesus mentioned the fact that sometimes they'll rust, rust out, and that happens, doesn't it? If you buy a car, used car, beware, from the East Coast, it, it's probably rusted on the bottom because they use salt in order to de-ice the roads during the wintertime. So you have to be careful when you buy a used car from the East Coast and from the California coast because the same thing. There's a lot of salt in the air and, and it will rust. Well, things rust. We know that. And things wear out. Nothing lasts forever. Bonnie and I had a mattress that lasted a long time. I hate to give it up. Forty years old, we finally gave it up. And at that time, I was reluctant. And I still am. I wish I hadn't. But things don't always last forever. I know that. We know that. 
Jesus said our earthly treasures have a short uh, shelf life. But in addition to this, we might not even be around long enough to wear them out. As a matter of fact, Paul said, we brought nothing into this world and we'll take nothing out. We come in naked and we leave naked. We can't take anything with us. So even if things stay behind, and Jesus told, told, told a parable in Luke chapter 12, I think beginning at verse 13, wasn't it, uh, Art, that we were talking about this morning? Here was a fellow that uh, had a good crop that year, and so he said, I've got, I've got to get some bigger barns so that they'll, they'll accommodate my bigger crop. And Jesus said, Thou fool, this night your soul will be required of you. What, who shall these things be? So this fellow couldn't stay around long enough to enjoy everything he had. And that happens, doesn't it? In, uh, also in the book of Luke in chapter 18, there's a young fellow, a rich young ruler. And he came to Jesus and he said, Good master, and I want you to listen carefully to what was going on. Because sometimes we miss, we miss the import of the story. I know I do a lot. But here he said, Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What we have to do is step back just a minute and look at him and wonder why are you asking that question? Jesus' response to him was, Keep the commandments. And he said, I've done all these. And then Jesus said, Sell what you have. Give to the poor. Take up your... No, he didn't say take up your cross. He said, Come follow me. And the young man said... That's not what I had in mind. That wasn't what he had in mind. What was he thinking? He was thinking, I, it says he was very wealthy. He had many or great goods, great possessions. What were you thinking? He was thinking, these goods will probably outlast me. What I need is, I need eternal life so I can continue to enjoy my possessions. Wow. All right. That's what the young man was thinking about. I need a longer life. I need to stick around longer because my goods are going to be here. This is where my treasures are. Give me eternal life. Well, what, what, what good are possessions if we can't last them? I, I'll tell you what. I'm getting up to the age where I know that one of these days I won't be able to get out of bed by myself. And it's not too far in the future. And I, I really, really am not looking forward to the time that I'm sitting in a wheelchair in a rest home with my head lolled over to the side and watching people come and go and not even know what's going on and having people change my diaper and feed, spoon feed me pablum. I'm not looking forward to that. The things that I have are probably going to outlast me. I'm not looking forward to that. Well, that's, that's the problem with possessions here, isn't it? I'm not going to last, I'm not going to outlast them, and they may outlast me. That's the problem. I've got, it's a two-pronged problem. They may not last long enough, or I might last, not last long enough. Both of these things are a possibility. Let's talk about how we get our possessions. Let's, let's just talk about some things real quick, because I'm going to take you down somewhere else on this. How do we get possessions? He said we can possess the kingdom. He said, Come ye blessed to my Father, possess the kingdom. 
Now, if we say, hey, that's something I really want, how do we get it? Well, there are three ways that I can think of, three major ways that we can gain possession. Anything we have, three ways we get it. We, first of all, we can earn it by physical and mental labor. That's called the Protestant principle. Did you know that? The Protestant principle. That's, that's what they teach in college anyway. They say, well, that, that's old-fashioned. You ought to be able to get it in some other way than that. But it, actually, the, the Bible and other, other individuals who know what's going on, practical people understand, that in order for you to have possessions, you have to W-O-R-K and get a J-O-B and keep it. And then you can get something. If you want a car, work for it. If you want a house, save for it. Earn it. Get a job. That's how you get possessions. Simple, isn't it? Simple. That's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. Work with your own hands that which is good. Work. And he said the same thing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and at verse 10. If any will not work, neither let him eat. They had a community table, by the way, at that time. The early church had a big community table. Every week they came together on the first day of the week and had a great big meal. And the servants and the people that didn't have anything came and they were served and taken care of. And there were some people who said, hey, that's a good deal. I'll just come live off of the church. And Paul said, no, if you won't work, if you don't go to work, you don't eat. Well, those are the principles then. That's how you get possessions. You work. That's the simple way. The second is you accept a transfer by grant. Now that's kind of like the inheritance, isn't it? Okay, my mom and dad had lots of money or whatever it may have been. They had things I wanted. And so when they died, they handed them down to me and my siblings. That's generally what we think of as a grant. There are other things called grants. You know, during the uh, 16th and 17th century, uh, in this country at least, we're familiar with it, in the Western Hemisphere, uh, Spain and, and Portugal and England and uh, France sent explorers over to the Western Hemisphere in order to gain property, the new, the new, um, new frontier. And so when they got here, they, they, uh, the people that came and did the exploring were given because they were funded by the kings and queens and so forth. Because they were funded on their travels and trips, they were granted land. There are lots of Spanish land grants still in existence, as a matter of fact, down in South America and in Mexico, and even in Arizona, and New Mexico, and California, and Texas. Spanish land grants, how'd they come about? Well, because the Spanish government said, you went over there and explored, and, and because you funded these things, we're going to give you a land grant. And they gave them thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of land. That's called a grant. Well, you could get a grant, and sometimes even a, a kid now in school, they're in school and college, and the, and the people look at them and say, hey, this is a bright kid. We want to keep them in school, and so they give them a grant. Okay, you can get a grant. You can inherit money. 
you can be born with a silver spoon in your mouth, can't you? And you've got a trust fund baby. Or you can receive a gift. Somebody just gives it to you. Just gives it to you. You ever had a gift? Somebody just gave you a gift? You didn't know why they gave you a gift Christmas time, whatever it may have been? A possession? Just got a gift. That's another way to get a possession. Now, let's look at the kingdom of God. He said, possess the kingdom. How am I going to get the kingdom? Well, to possess the kingdom is to possess Jesus Christ. Now, this, this is the thing I've been preaching on for the last several weeks. That is, you cannot have the kingdom without Jesus Christ. He is the kingdom. He's the kingdom. So when Jesus comes, you know what he brings with him? The kingdom. That's where God is. God is with his son. Now, the kingdom of Jesus, number one, cannot be earned, can it? There are three ways to get the money that I've already mentioned. Three ways to get possession. We know the kingdom cannot be earned. In Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 4, it says, God who is rich in mercy... For his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. The word grace means a free gift. Guess what? You can't earn the kingdom. It won't make any difference if you go to work to get it. Because you can't earn Jesus Christ. You can't get a job that will produce Jesus Christ. Because he is a gift. He is a gift. He has raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places. That's in the kingdom. In Christ. In Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. There it is. Don't try to earn it. It's not going to work. None of us can claim Jesus because we work for Him. Not because we've been given a grant for Him either. He did not grant us Jesus because we did something wonderful in our life, like a Spanish land grant or an English land grant. It's a good thing we won the war, by the way, because England had already distributed our land. The king had. He had already distributed all the land to his generals, to his majors, to his councilmen, to the, his... his Cautery of people behind him. He didn't win the war. So English land grants didn't take place. But they would have they would have consumed us. So none of us though can claim Jesus because we work for him or because we have been given a grant, but we receive Jesus in our hearts and his kingdom as a gift. As a gift. Now there are a lot of texts in the New Testament that talk about us being in Christ. As a matter of fact, it's a very simple matter to get into Christ. If you hear the word, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you repent of your sins, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And if you're baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, then he adds you to his church. You are in Christ. You're baptized into Christ. Now we're getting into Christ. That's the simple process that the New Testament gives us. We're not talking about getting into Christ. We're talking about Christ getting into you. 
That's what we're talking about. It's a different story. A different story. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 But let's talk about the gift of God that God said, I'm going to put Jesus in you. I'm going to put him in you. His kingdom in you. Now that's the gift we want to talk about. And I want to concentrate on that particular fact that Jesus is in us as a gift. Galatians 2 at verse 20. Now listen, there are lots and lots of texts. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is really full of it. Lots of texts that talk about you being in Christ. Many, many, many texts. But there are not too many that talk about Christ being in you. And I want to try to differentiate between this. When we're talking about Christ in you, I'm not saying that if I see Christ in you, that I'm seeing you behaving like Jesus. What I'm saying is, if Christ is in you, you have received a gift of Jesus Christ, and He's doing something good for you. You have a possession the world does not have. You have a gift. God gave you a gift. He gave you His Son, and He put Him in you. Now, obviously, He's putting Him in your heart. That's the place where He wants to rule. In your heart. Now, Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. In Colossians 1.27, it says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 2.6 says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, as you, as, you has, as you have received Him, so walk in Him. You have received a gift. You didn't earn it. It wasn't a grant. It was a gift. It was a gift. You obeyed the gospel, and guess what? God put His Son in you with His kingdom. He put Him in you. Ephesians 3.17 That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That's a key issue. You say, well, you know, I don't feel it. I don't feel that Jesus is in me. That may be a problem. The problem is, you, you may have to develop some more faith. Right? The stronger your faith is, the more you realize that Jesus Christ is in you. He is a gift. He is the gift that God has given. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now this text tells us that there are great advantages of possessing Jesus Christ. You have something. You have some gifts. You say, well, I wish I had as much money as Bill Gates. And I said, well, you know what? I would, I would like to be a, a movie star. I'd like to have a gift, one of the athletic gifts, so I could play ball like the big athletes play and so forth. I wish I was very smart. I wish I had the gift of intelligence and so forth. But you know what? You're given the gift, the best gift the world has ever had. That is Jesus Christ. And He is given to you and placed in your heart. 
The best, let, let's talk about it. Now, I, I'm going I'm to express a word of caution right here. Number one, I am not going to criticize you for not feeling that Jesus is in your heart. No, I don't want to do that. And I don't want you to think that I'm looking at you and saying, I don't think Jesus is in you. It doesn't look to me like he's there. I'm not going to do that. that. That's dangerous. And I don't want to do that. What I'm going to do is tell you what he can do for you. If you let him. If you let him get in your heart, here's what he'll do. And in order to do that, I'm going to tell you how he affects me. Not you, me. So I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to say, hey, I see, I see what kind of person you are and I don't think Jesus is there. I'm not going to say that. And you, you shouldn't say that about me. We shouldn't say that about each other. Let's just talk about the fact that Jesus has given me, the gift that he's given me, Bill, is that he drug me out of a cesspool of sin and he washed me off and he sprinkled my conscience with his precious blood and he washed my body with pure water and he took my filthy rags of unrighteousness and he clothed me with his own righteousness and he said, Bill, don't worry about what you've been doing, how you've been living. Now you can sleep better at night. Don't, calm, don't, don't worry, Bill. I've given you the gift of forgiveness. And so when you think about the life you lived before, and brother, it's hard for me not to do that because I've got to keep thinking, Lord, help me in this matter because I've done some ornery things, mean things. Mark Twain said, we don't sleep well, us old folks, because of all the naughty things we've done in the past. Well, that may be true. But Jesus has given me a pure conscience. Let us draw near with a true heart. Why? Because He took my sins and took them away and said, okay, now, you're a different person. I love you. The second thing that He does that I want to mention is that He says, don't, don't be afraid of things, Bill. Don't, be, don't walk around worrying about everything. Don't worry about what's going on in politics. Don't get concerned about what Bush has shot his mouth off about or, or Trump has shot his mouth, mouth about. Don't worry about the Democratic debates. Don't worry about this actor who's, who's molested all these people. Don't worry about the whole society as a whole turning into a cesspool itself and crumbling all around us. Don't worry about that. He places his hand on my trembling heart he says, everything is going to be okay. Take it easy, Bill. Don't worry. John 16, 33. Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. So he tells me, Bill, when you read the newspaper, don't get upset about it. Because I've got it. When the whole world crumbles down around you, you know who's going to be left standing? I am, Jesus said. I'm going to be left standing and you're going to be right there with me. So, He gives me a peace that passes understanding. You say, well, I, I don't feel that. Get a hold of Jesus. Let him, let him in your life. If you don't feel that, get your faith moving. How does faith come? It comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Get in the book. Feel the pressure. Feel the goodness of Jesus taking over. And, you know, there's something else that happens to me. That Jesus has given me an out, and you too. 
Sometimes I get depressed. I really get depressed. I look outside and the clouds over and the sun's not shining. I'm down in the basement in the dark. I can't seem to get my way out. I see people that I get disappointed in. I see situations that are disappointing to me. And so I begin to get down in the dumps. Now, clinical depression is different from that type of depression, isn't it? If you have clinical depression, take your medicine. Don't forget your medicine. Keep taking your medicine. If you're just like me, however, and you're disappointed in people, you're disappointed in things, you're disappointed in life itself, and you're lower than a snake belly, and you can play handball on a curb, you feel so low. If you feel that low, the thing is, Jesus said, hey, Bill, I'm going to bring you up. You know what he said? He said, you are a city set on a hill, a light cannot be extinguished. He turns the lights on. He says, come out of the basement, Bill. Come up, come upstairs. I'll turn the light on. I'll make the sun shine. I'll open the drapes. I'll get it light in here. You are the light. He's not talking about understanding things. He's talking about the fact that he's going to turn on the light in my heart. Paul said, don't you know whether Jesus Christ is in you except you be reprobate? That's what he told me. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Don't you know He's there, Bill? When I forget that Jesus is there, then I, I stay down in the basement. And I let people discourage me. And I let events discourage me. And I begin to mope around and I, I can't seem like the, there's no reason to live any longer. You know, we're not the first people that have ever felt that way. Did you know that? You know what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1? He said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. You know what he's talking about? Suicide. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. Nevertheless, to abide with you is more needful. So he's saying, I, I feel, I'm, I'm so down, I'm, I'm ready to die. I'm just ready to give it up. He said, but it's more needful for you. What's he saying? Quit thinking about yourself, Paul. And think about others. That's exactly what he's saying. Nevertheless, he says, it's more needful for you that I remain. It's better. The person that commits suicide uh, may think that they're, they're not loved. What they're, what they're doing is they're not loving others. Well, what kind of damage is that going to do to people? They, they, people need to get their heads straight. If it's not clinical, if it's not medicinal, if it's just normal depression, we have to think about we have to think about that differently. Let's also think about the fact that Jesus gives us happiness. Makes you happy. Matter of fact, if Jesus, the kingdom is in me, he makes me happy. He should make me happy. If he doesn't make me happy, it's not your fault. I, I, I can't depend on you to make me happy. Bonnie and I talk about this a lot. Sometimes she'll say things to me like, well, whatever makes you happy. Well, <laughs> you know, it should be whoever makes you happy. Jesus makes me happy, should. He is the grantor of joy and happiness. Whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I can't tell you how to get happy. 
I can tell you that if you cling to Jesus Christ, if you learn more about Him, if your faith grows more and more and deeper and deeper, He will put a smile on your face. He really will. He does for me. When I when I get get to where I don't feel happy, I have to think about Jesus. If I don't if I don't reach out to Him, I stay unhappy. My happiness has to be not only things in this life. I look at this life and think, well, there are bad things that are going to happen to me. I don't have a job. I don't. I don't have friends. I don't have. I don't have. I don't have. I don't have. I don't. And so I'm not happy. But you know who I do have? I have the greatest, most wonderful friend in the world. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And if he can't make me happy, I want to tell you something. Nobody can. Nobody can. If Jesus can't, it can't be done. It cannot be done. If you don't know this man called Jesus, he's given us a gift, the kingdom. If you don't know this man called Jesus, let me introduce him to you. He is a son of God, and he is your Savior, and he loves you so desperately that he was willing to go to the cross and give up the relationship he had with his father just to get you to come home. He does love you. And you know what? Right now, he's knocking on the door of your heart. If you'll just open it, he'll come in. Let's stand together and sing.